Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. So as we move into this sermon, which I'll speak about in a moment, I wonder uh, if you would be willing to talk to a person just near you. And the question is very simple. What did you play with when you were a kid? So when I thought about this on my bike uh, yesterday, I was thinking about, I remember distinctly that it was Hot Wheels. And I distinctly remember, I want my kids to know Hot Wheels. And I remember being in uh, the Toys R Us. It was about the week before Christmas and I was going up and down the aisles till trying to find them. And I went to the one line, I saw this group of men standing there. <laughs> and there was this group of about seven men standing there and they were all looking like this because there was no more Hot Wheels. So we started a grief group that day <laughs> because we all wanted to talk about it and share it with the kids, but it just couldn't happen. But for me, it was Hot Wheels. I remember that. And that was one of the, my toys when I was a kid. What's a toy that you played with when you were a kid? You got one minute, please. Remember, it's a conversation. Okay, that's it. Sorry. Okay. I love it. But we got to go. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Okay, so uh, we are going to look at the movie Barbie, and I want to show you this trailer, but it's part of the sermon, not all of it. I just want you to see this. Two-minute video. Hey, Barbie. Can I come to your house today? Sure. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and plant choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. You can find me under the It is the best day ever, and so is yesterday, and so is tomorrow, and every day from now until forever. Yes. You guys ever think about dying? When my heart breaks. Some things have been happening that might be related. When my world shakes. Cold shower. Ooh. Falling off my roof. Ah. And my heels are on the ground. <gasps> to do you have to go to the real world 
You can go back to your regular life, or you can know the truth about the universe. The choice is now yours. The first one, the high heel. You have to want to know, okay? Do it again. Closer, I am Closer, I am I'm coming with you. Okay. This is the real world. <laughs> What's going on? Why are these men looking at me? Yeah, they're also staring at me. Barbie in the real world. That's impossible. If this got out, this could mean extremely weird things for our world. This would be catastrophic! We haven't played with Barbie since we were like five years old. Oh. No one rests until this doll is back in a box. Even if nobody else sings along. Humans only have one ending. Get that Barbie! Ideas live forever. No, I won't let you do just one appendectomy. But I'm a man. But not a doctor. Can I talk to a doctor? You are talking to a doctor. Can I need a clicky pen? No. A sharp thing? No. There he is. Doctor! Did somebody get security? It's Bobby Boots if you're still in doubt. Hey, after that, we gotta pray. <laughs> Help us to have ears and eyes to stretch our minds and imaginations so that we might discover our truest self. Amen. In the field of homiletics, which is a fancy word for preaching, there are many styles and forms a sermon can take. It can be a story sermon, or a four-page sermon, or a letter sermon, or an interview sermon. But the old style of preaching, of which my dad did in the 1950s, was what's called three points and a poem. It's considered boring and ineffective and old school, and that's what I'm going to offer you today. <laughs> three points in a poem. And these are the three things I want to talk about. The difference between knowledge and wisdom, Jesus as a wisdom teacher, and Barbie as a wisdom movie. Point one, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. All of us know people who are super smart, who do super dumb things or unwise things. We understand, we think that wisdom is in the head, but I believe actually wisdom is in the heart. It's just like in our world, we know there are many seniors, but very few elders. The world is filled with unwise, smart people. What the world needs, I believe, is more wise people and wise leaders to make change. In a sense, this whole series we've been looking at has been looking at what wisdom is. And in wisdom, in the movie Oppenheimer, I'll come to that in a second, that I looked at last week. And if you weren't there, you can go back and look at it. It wasn't a brilliant uh, sermon, but the movie was brilliant and the messages that come from it. See, Oppenheimer was a brilliant physicist who led the team that made the atomic bomb. However, when he knew what he had made and knew it was dangerous, he wasn't very wise. Though he tried, he knew the destruction was great and was unsuccessful. He was brilliant and intelligent, but not very wise. Oppenheimer hears and repeats the phrase throughout the movie, theory will only take you so far. That's knowledge, will only take you so far. 
And wisdom sees the consequences before they happen. So wisdom is anticipating and seeing the consequences. In the movie, the antagonist, uh, Professor Strauss, is one who's determined to take Oppenheimer down in his own pursuit of his own political power. And he says at one point in the movie, being a genius is no guarantee for wisdom. Being a genius is no guarantee for being a wisdom. And now I'll just show you the definitions here. I think about it this way. Intelligence is the ability to think logically, to conceptualize an abstract from reality. So that's what intellects do. And wisdom can be defined as the ability to grasp human nature, which is paradoxical, contradictory, and subject to continual change. You see, an intellect knows this. A tomato is a fruit. A wise person knows it's best not to put it in a salad. You see, wisdom expands our consciousness. Wisdom invites us to a bigger view, a wider perspective of what's going on in the world. And there's a bigger perspective that's beyond any political party or ideology. Some people said I was too political last week, and some people said not enough. That's probably a pretty good sermon. But here's a slide of what was in the Globe and Mail last week of what this looks like. Let's see if we can see it. It's Oppenheimer, and Putin says it's a feel-good movie. That's about what we're seeing in a lot of our political world these days, seeing people who aren't very wise doing potentially incredibly dangerous things. But the work of wisdom in the planet is all of us regardless taking it on to clean the planet and clean the air. And Oppenheimer as a movie points us to the awareness that there are lots of implications around AI or the climate crisis or social media. There are things that brilliant people make that have consequences for all of us. Chris Turner, who's part of this congregation and is an author, wrote a piece in yesterday's Globe and Mail where he is a climate positivist. So if you want to read that article, you hear somebody who says, we've got to see these attempts to make the world better as indeed a step forward. So you see, wisdom looks for the consequences of the actions that brilliant people do and say, see wider, see a wider consciousness. And as I said last week, Richard Rohr says that usually wisdom happens once our heart's been broken and tears begin to fall and we touch suffering. Isn't that true in your life and mine? When our hearts have been broken, when things have changed in a drastic way, suddenly we see more different. Suddenly, when we experience suffering, we discover that much of life falls away and there stands the gift of wisdom. I saw that this past week in Agape Hospice. Anybody who's been in those places, the beautiful places where people go to literally die and to be around someone at death, you capture what wisdom looks like. Last week when I went in after my sermon to see Donna, I said, Donna, I did a sermon on wisdom. She said, oh, I saw it. And then she paused and then she whispered these words, I became more wise through my mistakes. And then she lay in the bed and she paused and she breathed and she whispered, we need more Sophia. The world needs more wisdom. 
Here she is in her final day saying the world needs more wisdom. Her 26-year-old granddaughter who was sitting at another time I visited this week said my grandma was all about wisdom. She texted these words from Donna, about Donna. I believe Donna has taught me eternal love. During the bad moments when all you see is darkness, you can also see the light of love. No matter what happens, that light will always be burning bright. What a great gift the grandma has given the granddaughter about what wisdom looks like, the light of love burning bright. You see, that's what wisdom does. It helps us to see the light, and you see it through tough times and dark times and difficult times, and indeed, our failures and our mistakes are our greatest teachers. And often, death brings a clarity to what's really important in life. And I do believe it starts when we discover through our own suffering and our own life what really matters, what's really important, and who we are. That movie brings wisdom about the deeper call to transformation beyond intellect. Wisdom emerges from our understanding as a bigger picture about the complexities of life. Wisdom is essential to our life. Point two, the guy we came, the guy in the red robe up there, the center of the Christian faith was a wisdom teacher. While there are proverbs and texts in the Bible, the truth is that Jesus really did five things. He was a sage, he was a healer, he was a prophet, he was a movement maker, and he was indeed a wisdom teacher. Jesus was one people were astounded, not at his intellect, but at his wisdom. And it's through the use of stories and parables and pithy one-liners that he teaches, most often through questions like this. What does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose themselves? Or this. What is truth? Or this overturning. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. And it's the parables people know whether they go to church or not, like the parable of the Good Samaritan or the parable of the prodigal son that invites us into the complexity of human life to discover what and how we are called to be. You see, the truth is Jesus asked 306 questions. People asked him 86 and he only answered three. And I said that in a sermon a few months ago that Jesus asked 306 and has asked 86 and answered three. Someone went out the door and said to me, obviously Jesus was a liberal. <laughs> We've got to poke fun at ourselves. Jesus taught alternative wisdom of the day. And I'm going to try to show you this diagram. This is such an, a quick piece to look at. This is how conventional wisdom is how the world works. The world sees God as a punitive lawgiver and a judge where alternative wisdom says God is gracious. In the world, a person's worth is determined by measuring up to social standards. Jesus says all persons have infinite worth as children of God. The world says sinners and outcasts are to be avoided and rejected, shunned. And Jesus says everyone is welcome around the table and in the kingdom of God. In the world, identity comes from your social tradition. And, I, and Jesus says, identity comes from a centering in the sacred 
and from our relationship with God. Conventional wisdom says, strive to be first. And Jesus says, the first will be last. Those who exalt themselves will be emptied. The world says, preserve one's own life above all hell. And Jesus says, the path of dying to the self and being reborn leads to an abundant life. And lastly, the world says, the fruit of striving is reward. And Jesus says, the fruit of centering is God, is compassion. So you see, the alternative wisdom that Jesus offered wasn't about the intellect, it was about the heart and how the heart is the center of right action. And good religion and good Christianity, indeed all good religions, should center on not hate or arrogance or inclusion, but on the unconventional wisdom to be compassionate and to be loving and to challenge the world to tap into the love that we all have. Marcus Borg, who is the one I took that from, from his book, Meeting in Jesus Again from the First Time, says, if you had to summarize everything Jesus said down into one line, it would be this. Be compassionate as God is compassionate. Be compassionate as God is compassionate. And then he goes on and he talks about what the word means and what it really means is to be womb-like. A womb is all nurturing and all caring and all sustaining and all life-giving. And so all of Jesus' wisdom comes down to this. Be compassionate as God is compassionate. Point three, Barbie became real. I was standing in Tim Hortons down the street here this past week and I was waiting to get my coffee and I was listening to two guys in front of me talking and having a conversation. And one of them said, oh, I went to the Barbie movie last night. And the friend said, how was it? And he said, it was terrible. I interrupted them and said, tell me about that. What's that about? What's the movie about? And he said, well, it basically, it makes all men as misogynist. I didn't like it. I said, interesting. I'm going to see it tonight. I said, who did you go with? I went with my girlfriend. What did she think? She loved it, was the response. <laughs> Probably a great conversation on the way home. But it's true. Some people hated the movie. Some people loved the movie. Some will never go. Who knows? I went on Thursday evening with my 26-year-old daughter and my 12-year-old daughter, and they loved it, and they saw it as funny and smart and, yes, even wise. My 26-year-old texted me these words. When I was a kid, we played with Barbies, and in that time, you could pretend in it the world was innocent and didn't have hardship, and that's not the real world. She said, it's a movie about identity. In the real world, Barbie becomes a Barbie, not a stereotypical Barbie, just Barbie. And she empowers women in a playful, nostalgic way to be themselves. And in the conversation on the way home, she said, you know, when I was a kid, it was a way in which when I played with Barbie, I could escape the pain of the world. Pretty profound, I thought to myself. I also had a text from a mom who saw the movie, and they said to me that it was basically an opportunity for them as a parent to see this movie, I've lost it, to see this movie as a movie to recapture Barbie. They didn't give their child Barbie because they, what they thought it was, but when they see this movie, they see Barbie as an empowerment 
and indeed a way in which girls and women can be who they truly are. So not to recap the whole movie, and you gotta go yourself if you want, it's a movie where Barbie essentially lives in a perfect world where everyone's happy, everyone's plastic, everyone's beautiful and smart, and it all centers around Barbie in the Barbie world where everybody says hi and everybody says hi back. What a world that would be. And Ken is very much a second backseat kind of support guy until one day when Barbie's in the dance, as you saw a few moments ago, and she says to her friends, do you ever think about death? And literally the music stops, the dance stops, everything stops because she has begun to pose a question about wisdom, the existential journey. Do you ever think about death? That wasn't something they talked about in Barbie's world and suddenly her pointy feet are flat on the ground and suddenly she sees cellulite on her legs and she becomes very scared of this transformation. And so she goes to a wise person who and says to her, you can stay in Barbie land or go to the real world. And so she goes off to the real world where men are in charge, where women are objects. And so the story goes. And in that time, Ken, who goes with her, goes back to Barbie land to turn Barbie land into Kendom. And in Kendom, the men are in charge and men who are all about horses, are all there in charge, unlike the real world, where in the real world, that's not the case. And the movie is filled with many great one-liners, and there's lots of laughter, and I would say tears in this movie. And there's a fabulous speech by a woman who struggles with the real world, and she says this, it's literally impossible to be a woman. You're so beautiful and so smart and it kills me that you don't think you're good enough. Like we have always to be extraordinary, but somehow we're always doing it wrong. You have to be thin, but not too thin. You can never say you want to be thin. You have to say you want to be healthy, but also you have to be thin. You have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's crass. You have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. You have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. You're supposed to love being a mother and don't talk about your kids all the damn time. You have to be a career woman, but also be a looking out for other people. You have to answer to men's bad behavior, which is insane. But if you point that out, you're accused of complaining. You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much or that you threaten their other women because you're supposed to be part of sisterhood. But always stand out and always be grateful, but never forget that the system is rigged. So find a way to acknowledge, but also be grateful. You have to never get old, never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard. It's too damn hard, too contradictory, and no, gives you, no one gives you a medal to say thank you. And it turns out the fact that you're the only doing everything wrong, that everything is your fault. I'm so tired of watching myself and every single other woman tie herself in knots so that people will like us. I think this is crazy. And if all that is so true for a doll, just representing women, then I don't even know. And when you see this rant, this hard truth about what it's like to be a woman and experience this, your heart breaks. 
And when you sit there with your daughters, your heart breaks and you hope they never have to experience that. And it leaves you touched to the core as a woman, I believe, and as a man. Because only you suddenly see that the real world is like and how heartbreaking it is for people. Barbie's wisdom begins with her question. And it's lived in her suffering and her tears. Something you never expect out of a plastic doll. And I do believe Richard Rohr is right. It begins with our suffering. Barbie, for me, has many different reasons it's about. Some people say it's about objectifying women. Some will say it's about identity. Some will say it's teamwork. There's a whole article in the paper. Can Barbie, what can Barbie teach us about work? It's about many different things. And I believe it's about the redemption of Barbie. I saw this as a look at the redemption of the true understanding of Barbie and what it was about, not perhaps what we put on it. She's like, she meets at the end of the, toward the end of the movie, the maker of Barbie. Uh, sorry, the beginning of the movie. And she meets this old woman sitting in a bus shelter. And Barbie sits down and looks at her and says, you're beautiful. And the old woman says, I am. And there's something in that wisdom of being willing to say, yes, I am. But in the journey for Barbie, when she meets the maker of herself, they stand for a moment and hold hands, and in that moment, they feel, as Barbie glimpses the whole world passing by of all the people that Barbie has touched by her making. And it's in that moment of realness and in that moment of wisdom that true things happen. So Barbie's wisdom begins with existential questions, and then it begins as she begins to act on that calling. And that's what good religion does for you and for me. It begins with our questions and then our answer to the calling. That's why I think Barbie is a movie about wisdom. Because wisdom calls us to a life that matters. I'm glad I watched it with my two daughters, two young people who I believe have every opportunity to be their truest self. You asked me as a man, what was it like? Well, it pokes fun at very serious folly of our real world, the man's world that we live in it. And it holds up a mirror and pokes us with fun about how we have been and opens up to see another perspective and perhaps step into changing this real world. It invites us to see the glimpse of the pain that all men, all of us men, carry about who we are and how we are. Ultimately, the movie asks us, I believe, about identity. It asks this question, who am I really? Who am I really? All the characters in the movie pose the question, who I am and who am I told I am? And I think this is the beginning of wisdom with the question, who am I? Who am I is such an important question to ask ourselves so that we begin to live in to our truest self. So that's the three, poem, three points, and here's the poem. Roses are red, violets are blue. Seek realness and wisdom. 
in all that you do. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.